can, can you hear you? You can or you can't? I can. Oh, that is that is what we're what we're after. I know. First try. It's amazing. <laughs> so what are we talking about? Yeah, we don't really have anything. Yeah. We yeah. could rant about cross platform frameworks for an yeah, hour. I feel like this is the only thing we ever do. It's like <laughs> every meetup I go to, this is always a question like, Oh, so what what do you guys think about React Native? Or what do you or think about Why do you hate React Native so much? And then I just keep talking for about fifty hours. Yeah, and then people leave and then you <laughs> keep on talking and then you wonder why no one ever shows up to our meetup. I mean we have eighty <laughs> members now in our meetup. I know. It's 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 surprising. People really want to hear our React Native. People want to hear React Native. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what you we should, should call it. You should rename it that, yeah. yeah. React Native dot rant. Oh, good naming. Thank good you. Creative. I know. It's just very clear. People will know what it is. Mm. So there was an interesting talk at Sydney Coca Heads the other night, which was actually, it was a little bit about React Native and Flutter cross-platform frameworks, mm-hmm. but it was mostly focused on why they don't work. And that was an interesting <laughs> uh, change because a lot of the talks that we do get about React Native are all like, here's why it will save the world or here's how it's useful <laughs> more so. And it was interesting to have somebody come in and basically say, look, we've tried it. I don't think it works in a lot of cases. Um, I think the premise of the talk was basically that it can be really good for getting a quick prototype up and running to show mm-hmm. Uh, something to a client uh, to give an example of how it might work. But if you want to go and build the app and you plan on supporting the app for a long <laughs> period of time, then it's almost always certainly better to go native. And I know we've had these discussions and discussed this before, but this was a good, this was a good, comf- uh, sorry, meetup talk about that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this tend to be sort of my argument in a nutshell. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to hear that other people like, especially understand if you're, that side if of you it. If you build something like, I don't know, there's a summer event in your city or there's a musical on for four months in the city. I think those kind of things, like if it's if it's like a one-time event, you build an app quickly, crossover, doesn't do a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not really about being nice. Like it's your your goal is not to make a beautiful app. Your goal is to have an app so you can see the schedule for your, I don't know, two-day festival. Perfect. You can get something together quite quickly that you never look at again and throw away after. Yeah, yeah. And that would also be quite a simple user interface as well. If it is something like an event, you just need a table view of some type that you can scroll through as a user and maybe some pictures of maps uh, Mm. of where, where the stages are, for example. And I think if you have something that's just a very simple very simple UI, um, a few different few different table views doesn't do maybe do some network calls and then, then it might be really good. But if you want something more custom, something more custom when it comes to the layout or uh, if you're doing anything that actually relies a lot on the hardware that it's running on, uh, I think it's quite it can be tricky to get that to work correctly. Yeah, and especially it's, sometimes it can end up taking more time. And also, I think if you want to have an app that's at all on any bleeding on on any bleeding edge at all at any time, like you want to support WatchOS or you want to support ARKit, it's you're always gonna have to wait for that to be available in um, whatever cross-platform language you're writing. Yeah, that's why as long as your event is as long as your festival isn't in uh, in September, you don't even have to worry about Apple releasing your devices. Yeah, well, only work on the ones that you develop it for, and then you throw it away before new ones come out, anyways. But yeah. if you want to do yeah, if you definitely. want to build nice things, uh, then maybe don't do that. Yeah, but also in general, if you want to have it more maintainable, I think... Um, yeah, maintenance. Yeah, maintenance. No one does that. <laughs> no, but um, it's, it's Move good fast to hear that other things, people... Like your entire app whenever anything changes. <laughs> so the, the guy who gave the talk sack, was he 
So he had experiences, right? I think you said he. It was a he. I may have said he. Okay. But it was a he. Um, was this person <laughs> having um, experience actually writing React Native? Yeah, that's the impression I get. So I think okay. they run a, <laughs> like a small consulting firm or company or something okay. um, and have had experience with different types because of Because that's so what I... That was good to get a, yeah. an insider's view on that kind of things instead of just someone saying, uh, yeah. React Native, boo, Because I think or, there are a lot of people who are like native iOS or native Android developers that are just like, no, that is never going to work because and then they seem to be a little bit biased. But I think it's important to hear people have tried it out. And I mean, you have tried yeah, it. Yeah, I have tried it out. But uh, in general, I think it's good to test something out and see if it is mature before you're sort of trying to defend it. And uh, I'm happy that I did that and I'm happy that I have seen that side. Um, but, but it's yeah, also I just sometimes, didn't feel sometimes like it was... you also don't have to try things to have a reasonable attitude That's towards true. them, right? That's true. I, I do agree with that. But I think in the beginning when React Native came out, it was quite promising and many companies started doing it. But now you can also see a lot of companies like Airbnb um <sighs> Facebook is also rewriting certain things. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's it's nice to see that companies that went really big and sort of fall on into React Native, they are now sort of going back on that. And it seems like bigger companies have tried it. And yeah, at this stage, I don't think everyone has to try to figure out whether or not that it's a good platform or a good um, framework to use. But I think it's good to hear from companies that have tried it, and it's nice to hear more people sort of coming out with those stories and. Yeah, I, I'm not at all against writing cross-platform. I think if that's possible, that's great. But I don't think JavaScript and React Native was the right thing for I it. I don't know. In general, cross-platform always has the problem, though, that, I mean, writing an app, the the framework is a very small part of what makes an app good. You have to yeah. know what you're... Like, if you've never touched Android and you're now starting to write cross-platform apps with cross-platform frameworks, you're probably not going to do best practice. You already have that with design, right? A lot of companies that we've worked on, the designers were iOS-focused, which means the Android apps looked exactly like iOS apps and didn't behave natively uh, according to platform uh, conventions. And I mean, that's already a problem. If if The fewer people you have, at least in those situations, the Android developers we worked with had uh they cared about what they did so they then pushed back on saying hey this is not native to this platform can we maybe do it this way or that way but the more you lose people caring about what they're doing the less of good results you're getting or you have to find people who are deeply passionate about all those platforms that you're writing for and if you're looking at flutter now that goes for like you can comp- compile it to JavaScript for the web and for macOS unless you use OpenGL, <laughs> deprecated Macs, but whatever. Um, and iOS and Android. It's like what are the chances uh, that you find someone who who's deeply familiar with all those platforms yeah. to, to an extent where they're capable of writing good applications for those? It's just you. You there might be some, but I, I just think you're you're kind of limiting. The, the probability of finding someone who is, is as good in all of those as they are in any of those yeah. specifics. But I mean, just... what you could potentially do then is to have people in the same way as you have a team now. Um, you have Android developers and you often, you have often have separate iOS and separate Android developers, um, working on two separate code bases. You could have the same constellation, uh, with some JavaScript developers, some, mob, um, some iOS, some Android developers working on the product together and they all give their own input, uh, because they do have domain specific knowledge. What are you saving? 
Yeah, no, I'm not saying this is the right way of doing it, but I think that is a way that you would have to do it because you wouldn't find someone... It would be hard to find people who have experience with all the different platforms. So you sort of need people who are ex- who have expertise in in the specific areas. And I mean, realistically, a lot of companies, a lot of larger companies that decide to go with React Native, people that are in charge of those kind of decisions are maybe... Anyways, people that are not super familiar with the nuances of those kind of decisions. It's already hard enough to send some companies to explain why you need an iOS developer and Android developer. But now going to saying we need right native developers that have a focus on iOS and Android, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. And that is not even, we're not even touching on the the dumpster fire that it is to build your entire business around a third party so large and so core to your app that you have absolutely no chance chance of maintaining it if if whoever maintains it at the moment ever jumps off that platform. Yeah, so what you mean is that... If, if Google would now s- s- announce we're no longer supporting Flutter. Yeah. It's like, all right, so now your team of four, where you saved one resource because, hey, it's, it's all cross-platform. Now your team of four maintains the entire project of Flutter. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's like, why would you take that risk? Yeah, and I think that sort of comes back to, like, in general, I think many mobile developers are quite against using third-party code or third-party frameworks because of the potential lose of compatibility. Like, if the people who are initially writing the third-party framework actually stop writing it, you will have, uh, like, code that is not being updated and not being maintained. And you sort of rely on this third-party person or company to do something and i think it's the same third party person third party person um third person whatever uh, you rely on someone else updating code um for you to be able to work on your product and i think that's the same you're just adding another layer if you're using something like a cross-platform language and i think yeah like i'm i'm, I'm not i'm open to trying different languages but i just feel like there's such a there's this combination of um the risk that you take of um relying on someone else's um, work in combination with it not feeling ready yet and combination with it not being really up to date with uh, new things that are being released on the native platforms. Mm. What do you think, Zach? No, I mostly agree. That, yeah, long-term, um, from everything I've heard, I mean, I haven't, I don't have experience playing around with React Native or Flutter, but from a long-term, uh, long-term perspective, you are putting a lot of faith in a uh platform which may or may not be maintained i mean if you're if you're writing native ios apps yes that is true that you are reliant on apple and them and they uh, put out tools and things like that however you can pretty safely assume that if there's a viable market for ios apps then there's going to be some amount of love going into developer tools and things <laughs> like that and if there isn't then that market probably dries out anyway so you're yeah. tied to the the platform that you're building for anyway whereas now yeah anyway introducing a another Another dependency is not always the best idea. But, but also, I mean, if Apple would go away as a platform, <laughs> first of all, I, I think you would see that coming. I don't think I don't think there's a chance that Apple is going bankrupt uh, next year. Um, but also, another reason why it's good to diversify. If you have an Android app and an iOS app, if Apple goes out of business, you at least still have an Android app. But I do see what you mean. I think, for example... This is something that people could potentially be worried about when it comes to macOS. I think Apple has been, so far, they've been writing all of their apps in macOS, um, for macOS natively. And I think that has sort of made that platform sort of up to date and there have been more new things coming out for macOS. But I think if Apple starts to write everything in 
marzipan or iOS uh, or Yoikit um, or whatever they're going to call it, I think it will be less comfortable to write a native Mac app because you don't know how much love Apple is going to put into that themselves if they're not using it. And I think this is the same thing with uh, a cross-platform language. I think if you are... Uh, I mean, to that... Yeah? I mean, I, I'm, I'd be very confident... Or I, I would find it very unlikely that Apple... There was for a while people hoping that Apple would basically write a more modern app kit, right? That yeah, yeah. Whatever uh, app kit was around for a long time, then I... um then uh, UIKit was developed and a lot of the things that the people learned from AppKit went into the, uh, design decisions for UIKit. You mean it, from from, um, from, from Apple's, Apple's perspective? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there was, I, I've, I know of a lot of people that were hoping, uh, both internal at Apple as well as externally, uh, hoping that Apple would decide to kind of write a new AppKit that would kind of have the same approach. Like, AppKit's been around, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years, however long. Uh, let's take all the things we learned and make make a new AppKit. But I feel like this marzipan thing is essentially the last nail in the coffin of that idea. I don't think we'll now see a, new a major rewrite of AppKit. Yeah, so do you think that means that people who rely on AppKit should maybe it's stop not, hoping for new I don't think it's going away. I just don't think it will, it will get any major... The, the major, I mean, rewriting AppKit or even not necessarily rewriting, but giving it a major overhaul in, in that direction mm. is is a lot of effort. And I feel like this, this announcement is essentially uh, saying that is not going to happen. So Our say... focus is Marzipan and AppKit will probably still get small improvements over time, but I don't think it will get the amount of resources that that, that kind of alternative... Um, strategy would have required. So let's say that Apple would release a new a new Mac with a um, with Face ID. Um, I know that on iOS at the moment you can actually there are APIs available for using the Face ID camera to mm-hmm. like do like motion detection and stuff like that, emotion detection and stuff like that. Oh, interesting! Actually, um, that just spawned. Uh, it will be interesting what happens with all the apps at the moment if mm. you try to cross-compile them and they have those mm. kind of biometric mm-hmm. authentication requirements. That's a good, yeah. Will that mean, is that the thing that we've seen with the Apple Watch? Maybe. You, but then what do you do if you don't have a Mac with Touch ID or Face ID or you're not wearing an Apple Can't Watch? Can't access your bank account anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that's interesting. sorry, that was a tangent. Yeah, yeah, no, but that sort of touches what I was going to say. So I'm thinking if there would be a, a Mac with, um, with a Face ID camera, mm-hmm. um, would that be something they are writing? Would they write um, APIs for you to be able to use that um, in App App Kit, or do you think they would use? Um, would they just use UI Kit directly? Do you think that this means like anything new that is hardware related that they want to make available for the Mac is not going to be available in App Kit anymore? It's just going to be a UI Kit first. I I wouldn't expect that. I would still. Expect you think they're still going to keep on releasing things? That's. I mean. Who knows? But I, I, I don't think it will be abandoned. It's just not going to get that kind of extensive not be a multi-year effort. Yeah. But you think they're still going to keep on releasing new things? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it doesn't... Like, I don't know if mm. core data gets a massive overhaul. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if all those APIs go into... Africa. I don't... I mean... Maybe who knows? Yeah, I'm just thinking if it's, if it's available in 
UIKit already. Um, th- maybe that's an easier way of doing it rather than writing it in AppKit, and then they might rather want use uh, want developers to have some type of bridging um, between UIKit and AppKit in order to use those features. I don't, I don't know. Hard, hard to predict. Um, I th- but it's definitely a decision that now has to be made every time, right? Apple, yeah, yeah, uh, will, will have to think about: is this something? Where does this go? Mm. Yeah, I I would I'm I mean I would be sad if the decision isn't the default decision isn't everywhere unless we really can't. Yeah, but, but I wonder how it is. Like, do they have a general policy around how they're going to deal with those situations, or is it just looking at it by on case by case situations? Uh, it will be interesting to to see sort of how that goes. I mean, and why, how that works. Uh, why wouldn't things go into AppKit? <laughs> because maybe they think you like it is the future. Sure. And if that's all Apple is going to keep on using, I don't know if it is, and probably it isn't, but if they end up moving more and more towards UIKit themselves, maybe they don't focus that much on adding those things for AppKit. Yeah, I don't know. Like core data, for example, you, if you use, I mean, realistically, you could use most of it without any AppKit UIKit stuff, but then you have something like the fetch results controller, which helps you with like table views and those kind of things. So it's not really that much that you need to write to make it compatible with both. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is going to be the one of the most interesting parts about WWDC is because there's been so much speculation and so much talk about what this could mean. And, you know, I, one, one of the questions I still have is whether there's a distinction between Marzipan and UIKit on the Mac. Um, mm. You know, is if you create a new macOS project, will you be able to use UIKit instead of AppKit? Or is mm, like UIKit exclusively you, for apps that are brought across? Yeah, so even if you want to have a Mac sort app. sort of shared projects. Yeah, so basically, like, if you only want it to be a Mac app, are you going to be able to keep on? Do you need to use AppKit or can you use uh, um, UIKit for it? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wonder if you could do uh, just a Mac app. And I mean, theoretically, I presume you could if if even if there was only a way to do it for an app that also had an iOS component, I mean, I'm sure you could just create an extra project with an iOS thing. But, you know, I mean, like, is that going to be a supported way to develop Mac apps going forward? I don't know. Who knows? It's going to be interesting. I, I mean, especially considering that the Bloomberg report that um, Mac OS apps need to be submitted individually. Uh, I mean, that oh. very much sounds like oh, it yeah. will be yeah. a thing where you can just... Yeah, sort- that came out, what, a couple of days after we recorded that yeah. last episode talking about or speculating how yeah, I Mac wanted to have this as a UIKit apps might be distributed. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to have this as a follow-up um, on the last episode because I think two episodes ago we spoke about potentially having... What did we call it? Universal? Oh, yeah, Universal apps. Thanks. Uh, so we spoke about this potentially being Universal apps. If you buy an iOS app, it will also be available uh, on the Mac automatically. And then like two days, like the day we were going to release this, Kai and I were talking in the morning. Kai's like, you know what? I don't think that's actually going to happen because there are so many changes at, at once and it's going to be hard to sort of get developers to move it over to that. And I think Apple needs to focus at WWDC and this is not a discussion they want to have at WWDC. I think this was pretty much your argument, Kai. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a great argument. And then like, I think two hours later, um, the article came out on uh, Bloomberg saying that this is probably not going to happen. Um so yeah, that was a, a discussion that we had, uh, which which we could have had a couple of days later. We can just re-release the same episode a year later then. <laughs> Efficiency. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess, but I guess if that is the case, then they're treating the macOS part of an app more like the TV OS side of an app, where mm-hmm. um, 
it's a separate app. You can do release like releases for yeah, tvOS, even can, if it's the same bundle as your iOS app. You can release them separately. They can be on different versions. They're not tied you could to also make, the iOS version. You could make a single. Uh, you could make an Apple TV version only, right? You don't need it to be on iOS. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So that's that's I guess that's a question with Marzipan, and and I would presume that if you can release a marzipan app to the app store independently of your iOS app to the iOS app store, that that would probably be the case. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. So I have a question. With all of these rumored changes and, you know, it's going to be a pretty big year for developers and it sounds like there's going to be quite a few exciting things, particularly maybe if you have an iPad. Do you think you'll be installing betas this year? I've been (laughs) thinking about this quite a bit personally and I think it's the perfect year for it because... There's so many changes, but then on the other hand, there being so many changes means the betas are probably going to be pretty unstable. Um, so yeah, where where are you? What are your expectations for that? <sighs> I I tend to not install betas. I'm a very like I'm, I'm I'm a chicken when it comes to those things. I'm like I don't want things to break. Um, I don't want to install it on my main main app uh, on my main phone. I would maybe think about doing it on my iPad, considering that my iPad mostly is just laying here. Uh, as a stand for my headphones um but at the moment great use of an ipad kai yeah thanks i know but at the moment kai actually needs to use my ipad for testing (laughs) you mean needs to i i tried to use it a day ago and then first it it was was empty to charge it then as soon as it was charged it told me that it's like i don't even know what iris version you were on i i think you haven't touched that device in in a long time so i haven't actually been able to use it yeah so it could be a perfect candidate for upgrading to (laughs) to test it out because like i think the next uh, ios is actually going to be very different on my on the ipad so it could be fun to try out but if kai needs this device as a test device once it's charged um it might be better if i don't upgrade if I no, don't put I don't beta care. on it. And you don't care? I'm okay. Well, then, then, then maybe I'll do it. Does this mean we're getting beam there for iPad? Uh, no. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, it means well. that, uh, mer- like, I don't know if I mentioned this on, on the podcast before, but I'm going into pre-ordering for, for coffee beverages. And for that, I need a merchant app. And a lot of merchants here have or oh, already have iPads right. for, for like taking orders and, and payments and those kind of things. So I want to make sure that it works on those devices. It will work on any kind of device, but I definitely want to have, um, I always, if, if I'm not testing on iPads, I, I know I always forget something to like I yeah for example the like the yeah the popover sheets this is something you run yeah. into the other day but i mean that i can do in the simulator too i just think if if it goes out to actual ipads i want to make sure everything works nicely on an ipad also makes it easier just with like because that environment of a of a coffee shop is definitely more um i mean first of all it is something where people probably want to do quicker actions mm-hmm. and not necessarily want to hit exactly like focus too much on which buttons to push that's so just good to have a physical device with it's the right good. dimensions to to try the actions yeah. and get an idea of uh the size of things and the touch targets and those kind of things in in environments that might be more more hectical stressful and use it as close to uh what people who will actually use it yeah uh, yeah so if you actually want to show this to the cafes once yeah, you're helping them to set up, it makes sense to have an iPad to show them how to use the system. Mm. But I'm really excited for for this guy, um, for this next step of your of being there. Mm, it's going to be exciting to to see. Um, 
seems to get along pretty, pretty quickly. You're going to start trying it in coffee shops soon, right? Mm-hmm. That's the plan. Hmm. I plan to do it before that, though, but it's getting tight. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, two weeks? Two e- weeks left? Yeah. My, my concern is more, I don't really want to start testing it just before leaving, because if something doesn't work, I'm, I'm kind of far away, and I don't really want that... Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to release something and then d- not be there if there's something that goes wrong. I just want to... You, you want to you, you be there? <laughs> oh, I was afraid you wouldn't make that joke. <laughs> um, I just... My, my idea was when, when launching the, the kind of initial testing that I would just be in the coffee shops where, where it's being used and like just be there like just the entire time just in case something goes wrong, but also just interesting to see people using it and those kind of things. And obviously, that is not going to happen while I'm at uh, in San Jose. So um, I'm. I'll see. I'll see if if I get everything done this this weekend. Then maybe. Otherwise, maybe starting the week after. We'll see. But most things are done. Most of the the um, merchant app is done. I mean, it's it's fully functional. You can see orders and incoming orders and can accept them, reject them, and all of of that kind of thing. Just gotta. Got to wrap it all up and and start testing. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you can test yourself with the coffee shops before, and then once you get back, it, you can start getting actual customers on it. Mm. It's exciting. Mm. I think so too. Cool. So, Kai, I heard there was some problems or something with Intel CPUs this week. I haven't really been following the story. Been lots of assignments at the moment, so I haven't been reading the tech news, but. Do you care to explain? Um, not explain. I wouldn't. That that sounds like a too high bar. <laughs> I didn't spend that much time with it. Okay. But essentially, <laughs> um, it, I think all Intel CPUs made after 2008 are affected by a hyper-threading bug. Um, there is a um, simple way of mitigating most of the risk um, that, is, uh, um, that comes from that. Um, and that has almost no performance uh, impact. So that is what already rolled out in macOS uh, 10.14.5. So if you haven't updated to that, you should. Um, update your Mac, people. Yep. But if... if Especially five minutes before a podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you can. <laughs> it's important. Security first. <laughs> but if you want to be fully... Uh, um, if you really want to make sure that... like Basically, a full mitigation. So if... If you're in a situation where you have any concerns that someone might target you explicitly, I don't know, you happen to be the uh, CEO of a Apple. important company or you are um, the president of a country or the prime minister of another country um, and you want to do... Like whenever you're kind of like a high risk target, I'd say, then you probably want to do the full mitigation. And in order to to fully cover yourself from that, this part, is not a official recommendation, though. Yeah, that is essentially. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That that is what Apple. I think Apple says that in their document too. So if you're oh, okay. a high risk target, the only way of doing a full mitigation is what Apple calls it is to turn off hyper threading. So you boot into uh, safe mode and do a whole bunch of uh, commands. And then you turn off hyper-threading on your Macs. And according to Apple, that could uh, result in a 40% decrease of performance. So, um, yeah, Intel's not having a good good year so far. No, I mean, this probably just reiterates the whole moving away from Intel thing that Apple will eventually do. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that ARM, ARM, 
architectures don't have any any issues but this particular one no, but it's, is another uh, just another issue that that Intel has now and I mean there were were a lot of those over the last I mean last year this year and then the entire thing we also didn't talk about the uh the uh modems or the the 4G and 5G chips in iPhones and how Intel's leaving that market just doesn't seem like Intel is really and uh, shrinking their process. Uh, mm-hmm. Just sounds like Intel is not necessarily on the on the most glorious path at the moment. I mean, they're trying to go into like the maker space um, to to kind of get more traction there for like smaller purpose built CPUs and and kind of. I think it's similar to Raspberry Pi type things. Uh, they're they're okay. doing a big push in the Chinese space, uh, Chinese maker space to try to get people to use their chips for, for hmm. kind of hardware products, which is interesting. Um, Can they get the cost down? Um, I feel like makers, w- when you like improvise something and make, use something like Raspberry Pis, that's usually because they are relatively cheap. Yeah, you think that's something Intel can achieve? Yeah, yeah, the Intel boxes are relatively cheap too. Okay. And I mean, at the moment, it's also, it seems like a lot of kind of uh, hardware-based uh, um like <laughs> you don't have that as much here, but in in China you have a lot of hardware uh, startup incubators yeah, because it's yeah. a way bigger thing there. Like in Shenzhen, you have a lot of um, incubators that are for startups that build hardware products. Um, and uh, I've heard of stories that uh, Intel is quite um, involved in those and sponsoring them. So if companies want to start experimenting with with hardware products, they're they're giving those essentially a way for free so people can build stuff up, uh, with Intel's platform. I thought and uh, then if they NVIDIA was... It, wasn't NVIDIA sponsoring a lot of the, a lot of the makers? I mean, they're, those are different. different. Intel, uh, NVIDIA is more in the machine learning type of side. And I, and, what about and the robotics, and, the robotics fairs? What are they, who's sponsoring those? Um, I mean, a lot of different ones, but um, DJI is huge. Oh yeah, DJI, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you think they want to go into that to actually like make events for people who... No, it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what direction they're going. Uh, I'm not as as tuned into the, the Chinese startup, hardware startup ecosystem. Just from, from things I've heard, it seems like in those kind of hardware incubators, they seem to give away essentially free boards okay. for people to, to build their prototypes on that in in and then hoping or assuming that uh, when they turn into commercial products to to then use those type of chips there as well. All right. Hmm. And I think that's that's not I mean, it, it does strategy. seem like a, no, it seems like a pretty good market to go into. And like you say, there are so many incubators and sort of startups in China doing this now. So trying to get in early and then making companies stick with them makes sense. It's just not, I, I wouldn't imagine that being as high of a margin as it is for, for some of the other, um, other CPUs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, tough year for Intel. Yeah, and if if you're if the if Justin Trudeau happens to listen to this podcast, uh, we Did recommend a full mitigation uh, on on <laughs> why on Justin his Trudeau MacBook. because he's a prime minister of a country. Is he using a Mac? I don't know. He should use a Mac. Yeah, but upgrade it first. On that note, let's go to our pigs. Yay! What do we like this week, guys? All right, who's starting? Oh, I like yours, Marlin. Yeah, mine is So, do Zach, to... do you want to start? <laughs> uh, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I can start. Wait, to, to be fair, I actually haven't written anything. For listeners, the... yeah, 
we haven't seen what Zach's pick is, so it might be really exciting. So, ah, uh, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I'm gonna give it that. Um, it's All a right. WWDC theme pick, so ah. it's an app. It's called Comp Friends, mm. and mm, that's clever. It's an that's app for finding your friends at WWDC. It's a little bit like Find My iPhone, but with <laughs> for a lot people of who aren't necessarily from in other your people's contacts. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of iPhones. Um, so it's a it's a an app. It's it started as something called WWDC Family, I believe, by Felix Krauss, the mm-hmm. guy who oh, started Fastlane. Yeah, I forgot and that's it's he since made it. evolved um, into into an app that's now in the App Store because I think the first year it was exclusively on Test Flight. It's called Comp Friends, and it's got a generic name, but it's very deliberately built for WWDC. Mm-hmm. So it's been getting some. Actually, quite frequent updates on the App Store recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it works is you can choose to share your location when you're inside or outside of a certain zone. So, in the in the case of this, I mean, it's um, obviously it's a privacy concern to be sharing your location publicly all the time. But you can choose to say like, hey, when I'm in my home city of Sydney or wherever you are, don't broadcast my location. But when I'm outside of that, so generally you're traveling... Um, then show your location. And I think you can sign in with Twitter as well to see your Twitter friends specifically, or Mm -hmm. you can just see everyone else on the map. Um, So, I've got it set so that obviously my location is not shown when I'm home. And there's also a feature to fuzz your location when you're outside of... So, even if it's shown, it can be fuzzed when you're outside of a particular zone. So, in this case, I think I've set the the non-fuzzy zone to just over San Jose. So, when I'm in San San Jose for the conference, it'll probably be possible to see my location on this map. Um, But uh, outside of that, obviously, don't really want... Uh, it broadcast publicly. So, yeah. So, anyway, it's like it, it's got a pretty good privacy focus is the point I'm trying to make there. Um, but it's useful at WWDC to see where people are and where people are gathering. And, you know, if you see 10 people all gathered around the same little area on the map, you know, that there's probably something happening there and, or, or a good way to just find friends in general. Or um, if you want to go somewhere where, where there are no people, like you want to get the table somewhere. That too. Yeah. yeah. You can look which restaurants <laughs> are not taken. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> work out which corner no one is yeah so anyway pretty good app if you're going to wwdc i've used it before i used it last year um the first year i was at wwdc actually i used i don't think it was called conference at the time but whatever it was called i used the equivalent and at that time i remember i was roaming with i think 50 megabytes of data a day and i opened the app it updated the map <laughs> and that used like 20 something megabytes mm. to download everyone's uh, uh-huh. twitter avatars and I turned the app off and probably deleted it after that. But anyway, that's not the case this time. So last year I found <laughs> it pretty threw useful. The phone it is in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty useful to oh, and just kind of fun to be able to see everyone's little avatars mm. congregate around the mm. same area. So particularly on keynote morning, I know in the past a few people have tweeted screenshots of this app and it's it's funny to just see a few hundred bubbles all all in the same area, in the same place. And so, there must, there must be something going on there. Mm. So, it's pretty I cool. Also, it's a bit of fun. One um, thing I if like you're going, is to, I recommend checking it out. It's also nice to to find people that you have maybe not met before that are from similar mm. places that you are from. But I also really mm. like seeing, like, a couple of days before the conference starts, like, you start seeing people moving over. And I think this is always exciting because, like, you can really see Australians yes. sort of arriving very early. I guess it's like <laughs> they want to get over the jet lag. But it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Everyone starts to go there. And then, like, people who are already on the West Coast just start driving down. And, yeah, it's fun <laughs> to see. Hour like, before the keynote yeah. starts. Uh, but it's you can work out who the people out. are who are at the airport at the same time as you. So, you yeah. can sort of infer who's probably going to be on your flight. 
right. It, it's kind of fun that way. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very nice app. But I do think it also takes a lot of battery um, if you do have location access yeah. on all the time. So just be cautious mm-hmm. of that, especially if you're in the middle of traveling. Maybe kill the app in between mm-hmm. um, just so that. Do you happen to know the location fuzzing? How much it fuzzes? <laughs> I believe you get an option. Do you get an? Oh no, you get an option for location accuracy. Um, oh no, you get yeah, you get a distance, so you can. I've got mine selected to two thousand meters. Okay. Um, the distance that your location will be adjusted when outside of the radius shown. So that's a pretty significant. You can choose one hundred, two hundred and fifty, five hundred okay. a kilometer or two kilometers. Um, so it's pretty pretty robust, which mm-hmm. is nice. Hmm. All right. Um, so, yeah, it's okay. got a pretty good privacy focus. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I really like it. That's a great uh, but pick. But in general, I will quit the app. Like, until until I'm ready to leave for WWDC, I'm not going to keep it mm. up and running on my phone because it seems a bit pointless. And also, I just don't really want the... I, like, I don't really want it checking my location, even if it's not publishing it. You could, so. you could put Australia on the map. I think there's no one <laughs> in Australia at the moment. Oh, really? <laughs> Actually, it doesn't look like there is anyone oh, in Australia no. on the map. I'm looking at it now. There's a few in the US, east and west coast, a couple in South America, quite a bit in Europe, mm. um, a few in Asia, but no one in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Actually, if I, if I, oh no, I don't, I don't want to play around with the settings right now, but that's fine. <laughs> it's going to turn All it right. on temporarily, but no, it's okay. All right, Martin, All right, do yeah, you? So that's my pick, conference. Hmm. Okay. Um. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I used it uh, earlier years, but I have forgotten about it. I'm going to start. I'm going to download it again. I think I have it downloaded. I'm going to start it again. Um, cool. So, shall I go next? Sure. So, my pick of this week is a movie, uh, a documentary. It's called Design Canada. And this is a really, really good, like, it's a really good movie, I think. Um, so it's basically about um typography and um design design <laughs> um for certain things certain like very iconic parts that were part of sort of how to build sort of Canada's identity. Um graphic so design. It, yeah it's 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 about graphic design and like how to communicate the message so for example they go through how they design the um all of the um all of the icons and all of the graphics for um, the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics um, that were in Canada. And it's really, uh, when I started, I wasn't really sure what it was going to be. Um, but it's really talking about how you can like simplify some, um, how you can simplify a design so that it really clearly expresses what you wanted to express with a minimum amount of design, basically. Like they try to really focus on making simple logos that are very, having a very clear message. So they talk about the Canadian flag, for example. And like, if you don't know much about Canadian history, they, like you actually find out that they, like Canada haven't had their own flag since very recently. It was actually in the sixties that they actually got their own flag. And it's just fun that because they actually have like footage and videos of how they were like this in meetings discussing how to, how to design the flag and what the flag should look like and all of the sort of issues they had around deciding whether or not they should change their flag or they should have their own flag. And I think those There's type of parts, footage of the first time they hissed the Canadian yeah. flag at the. Uh, parliament yeah and i think that's crazy like it's such a recent event but now it's such a such a 
like no one really knows what happened like how it looked before that like people people were very much think of canada as the canadian flag it's a very symbolic sort of representation of the country and they talk through talk a lot about how they came through this to this symbol and how they really decided what they're gonna use for their symbol and yeah it's it's just a really doc- good documentary for that and so if you're interested in like either canadian history or design in general there have so many great designers that just talk about how you can simplify simplify the graphic design uh, to be giving a really clear message and i think that is just a really really interesting documentary um and i've been very interested in making graphic design lately and i've been very interested in making logos and icons and stuff like that and uh yeah it was just uh really fun to watch this and i realized how little i know about things like typo typography and um just how to make something really simple and still very clear as a message. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So if you're interested in design, you should definitely check this out. Also impressive how much good design came out of Canada in the mid-60s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if you look at some of them, you're like, oh, that is that looks very modern. And yes, nice. there's so many things that are, like, timeless, that are, like, looking like they could have been designed in this, like, this year and... Yeah, it's it's really cool. It looks it's some they have some really nice uh, footage. Yeah, mm. and uh, it is to rent five bucks on iTunes and thirteen if you want to buy it. And it is cool. definitely Sounds interesting. Uh, Did they touch on palm trees at all? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, like the second half is leaves. pretty much dedicated to the palm trees so just stick in ah, and stick well, with perfect. it yeah mm. just watch the first half and then then you get it yeah okay mm. yeah good pick yeah. Well, i really enjoyed that yeah i don't know if i gave it justification like honestly you don't have to be a big fan of canada like you don't have to be canadian or living here for having interest in this i think anyone who's interested in design in general will get a lot out of this and yeah I, I think I think you if, yeah people are interested in that part should really watch it. Mm. Mm. Good pick. Thank you. Cool. Um, and then I wrap this segment up with <laughs> a um, online backup tool. Woohoo! So <laughs> um, very early uh, 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 listeners to this show might know yeah, that I mentioned. Yeah, haven't you picked this? No, no, no. I'm, I mentioned that I'm doing something weird with online backups and that I would get to something when they actually release a 1.0. And that happened, I think, this week or last week. Uh, and that is a duplicacy, um, which is basically a, um, a, uh, online backup tool. It, it works for you, basically all platforms. If you use uh, Linux, Mac, Windows, anything, um, cross platform. A cloud backup tool and it relies on you bringing your own cloud backup provider so it's it's basically just a tool that does does everything you want from from a backup so it does incremental backups so you only up uh, backup changes and divs it also has full uh full snapshots so despite everything being incremental every single snapshot can uh is there for a full restore which i think is really important for that also does deduplication so you don't um unnecessarily bloat your uh, uh bloat your backup uh, size especially i mean cloud back uh, cloud storage is getting cheaper but still why why pay for stuff you don't actually uh, need to and all your backups can be encrypted and and you can select deletion um 
uh, rules essentially if you want to thin in the backup as it gets older and all those kind of things. It is super efficient. It's super fast uh, on, on our internet line here on an iMac. I basically get a f- uh, the full gigabit um, speed to to um, to uh, upload the backup. Uh, I used Wasabi on the West Coast. Wasabi being like an, uh, a cloud storage provider where you pay storage I think, solution i think you, it's it's somewhere in the range of five dollars for a terabyte a month that's really good which is pretty good especially considering that you're managing everything yourself you could if if you think a terabyte is enough uh for more than one computer doesn't matter you like Marlin and i could share that across our four computers that we own uh or might want to back up so it's not really you don't have to pay five dollars per computer it's like you you own you own the the cloud backup solution mm. so you can back up as many as you want to it and um the 1.0 that i was talking about is their uh web uh edition of that so duplicacy can be run as a command line uh tool so if you're running it on a server or um they have a really not so good mac um app and now recently released a web one which is which means you administer all the settings and the backup uh, destination and those kind of things in in a a web user interface and that is by far to me at least the by far the most user-friendly way of of using that so it makes it not any any more difficult than something like arc or any other uh more user-focused backup solution so yeah i've been using that for i don't know a year close to a year um and i've been very happy with it i i tried all the different things too i already tried to restore files from there and that worked and i i had backups on a whole bunch of different uh cloud storage providers it's also quite nice because you can say i want to back up to i don't know google drive and p cloud and wasabi uh so if you have like if if you're um i mean the, the more backups, the better. So if you have uh, free space on any cloud services that you're already paying for, might as well fill it up with uh, cloud backup. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm, I quite quite enjoy that. It's so far, I think at the moment, my favorite cloud backup solution. Hmm. Oh, I think it's a good, it's a good pick. Um, Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. No, um, you've been trying out so many different solutions for such a long time. So I'm glad that you have sort of settled on one mm. for now um, and it's also it's it's efficient you i've had issues with others where you would hear a fan spin up every time it starts a backup yeah um well this one is it's running and it's silently fine. in the background and so if you wouldn't use if you would back up to multiple um multiple servers like google and um wasabi at the same time would that would that run simultaneously uh, you, you can define in the user interface whether we want to have things that run in parallel or so if you zero. would if you run it in parallel would that spin up your fans a bit more or would it try to limit the, the i guess the cpu power it's using i mean so far it's 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 been incredibly efficient so i've never okay. had any i i didn't even look into uh you didn't optimizing any anything it okay. was just somewhere in the five to ten percent cpu utilization it's it's very very lightweight because it's initially was written for running on servers so if you run a server that you need that you want to have uh consistent backups for and you're usually more concerned about your performance on on something like a server infrastructure type thing so it's been optimized for that so i think it's all c plus plus uh and very optimized um okay great 
for for running on on slower or more um, performance critical environments. And I mean, that just means that now we get those benefits also in the consumer product. And I don't know if it's if you have to buy it. I think there is a license and somewhere around the, I think it's $5 per year or something if you're if you're using a computer for personal uses i think the commercial licenses are more expensive but it's it's definitely uh compared to all of the commercial backup solutions it's definitely cheaper than that and it gives you the flexibility of moving your stuff wherever you want awesome mm. cool uh do i need to come up with a <laughs> with a theme for this this week's piece you could you could try ooh okay um <laughs> This is really hard to get duplicacy in here. No, it's not. Okay, you go for it. <laughs> uh, you could use conference to find all your friends that you tell about the the awesome design that came out of out of Canada in 1965. Uh, and because you like the movie so much, you want to use duplicacy to back it up so you'll never lose it. 